uh, decided we were going to go a little different direction on that. Uh, I was a little bit concerned with uh, the fact they did not use King James Version, and that was of, of concern to me. And uh, it is important, by the way, uh, in discussing this week, and even uh, had a conversation this week about that, and uh, that we can take the words of our Bible as authoritative. And when those words are changed and those words mean something else in a different version, then it's hard for us to say that that word is authoritative. And it makes a difference in how we understand Scripture and what it says. And so we believe that the King James Bible is inspired, every word of it, and that it has been preserved without error, every word of it. And uh, we hold to those things here. In our church, we don't think that people who use other versions are bad people. I don't ever want people to get the bad idea that, boy, if I use a different version, I'm a bad person. But I, I want you to understand and to know that if we are to make dogmatic and authoritative statements from God's Word, then we have to trust that every word is from God. And not just the thoughts and not just the context, but every word uh, is given by God and is profitable. And uh, that being the case, uh, the handouts that we have tonight have King James Version in them, <laughs> which is uh, what we're going to hold to. And by the way, the Mormons hold to the King James Version as the best, in their opinion, what they call the best translation of scriptures, uh, the general position of the Mormon church. I'm sure there may be some Mormons that use other versions perhaps but officially, as the, the movement, they do hold to the King James Version. And so it's a little bit easier for us to deal with some things there. Although we've stated early on that the Book of Mormon, uh, the Covenants and Doctrines, and the Pearl of Great Price, those three works uh, that were written by other Mormons, they actually take as more authoritative and more uh, from God than the Bible. And so we have to have some other means sometimes to get them to some places. You've been given two handouts tonight. We're going to look, first of all, at the long one, the one that's uh, five pages long, three sheets of paper, front, uh, front and back, and in front of one page, on the Mormon statements of bur uh, affirming biblical tests for prophets. Now, uh, again, it's, it, we've, got to, we've got to pick and choose our battles. In dealing with Mormons, uh, you cannot unload the entire... Uh, <laughs> Uh, we like shooting guns, a few of the men in the church. You can't unload the whole magazine at one time. Uh, you have to pick and choose what you're going to do, okay? Uh, the Mormons are taught uh, that any good feeling comes from God and any bad feeling comes from Satan. And so if we have a spirit of contention with them, they will simply write us off and walk away and say that's something that Satan was involved in. And we will lose that opportunity. So we've got to be careful how we approach these things. We don't want to be incendiary. We don't want to be conflictive in the way we approach this thing. Uh, in fact, I, I would strongly recommend uh, just from the things that I have heard from testimonies of other Mormons and things I've read about that we actually are very, very kind and hospitable to them. Uh, when they come to our door, perhaps say, boy, I'm so glad you all came uh, I've been studying about Mormonism, and, boy, I've got a few questions I was hoping somebody could clear up for me. 
and bring them in. Let them come in. Sit in your living room. Uh, I know some preachers say, no, that's not a good idea. Don't even let them come in your house. Folks, these people need the gospel. And if every Christian took that approach, how are they going to hear it? Um, so we need to be careful of this. Now, we're going to give you a lot of ammunition tonight, uh, quite a bit of it. Uh, and so what I would strongly recommend, I, and I'm telling this to the Wednesday night crowd, I don't know that I'd tell everybody that ever visited our church this, but if you're concerned and you're burdened about Mormons and you're going to spend time studying and learning how to deal with the Mormon, I don't think it's a bad thing at all to have a Book of Mormon in your house or Doctrines and Covenants in your house and go through with these things that we're giving you and highlight and earmark the pages so that when they come and you say, I've got this question, you're not picking up a handout from a Baptist organization because they'll look at that and they've been taught if, if you get literature from any other organization, then you're to walk away from it. They're not even allowed to read it. But this has stuff in it from their material. And we can take their Book of Mormon, open it up and say, this page here, I was reading this, and this just doesn't make sense to me. Can you explain this to me? And uh, I, I don't have a problem in the world with telling this crowd uh, that that would be a, a fine thing to have in your house, to have these available if uh, a Mormon comes to your house. And so uh, let's take a look at this. We're going to look, first of all, at the Mormon's statement affirming the biblical test for prophets. Now, the, probably the best approach uh, in getting them, because we've said that it's a, it's a twofold process here. You have to get them to the point where they doubt that what they believe is true, and then secondly, you've got to give them something that they can hold to and say, we believe this is true. Uh, so half the battle is just getting them to realize that what they believe is a Mormon is false. And that's going to happen in small increments and bite sizes uh, as we leave the door open for them to come back and visit with us again. Maybe they don't know the answer to the question we ask. They'll probably say something along these lines. Well, let me go and talk with people at my place, and I'll come back next week, or I'll come back in two weeks, or we'll set up an appointment, we'll come back and we'll answer that question. A lot of the missionaries don't know all the questions. They've been given, they realize that most people they talk to are not going to know a whole lot. Uh, e even Baptists, they know, are not going to know their doctrine, the Baptist doctrine. And that's a shame for us. It really is. That even Baptists don't know their own doctrine. Uh, and so they know this. They, part of their training is when you in, uh, come into a Baptist or a, a Catholic or one of these other uh, uh, Christian organizations uh, or people, uh, they're not going to know very much about the Bible. And so the, the, the missionaries are given just enough to kind of whet the appetite and kind of set the hook and, and draw you into Mormonism uh, without having to go into a lot of doctrine, a lot of questions. So one of the things that you've got to get them to do, and I think probably the best approach from all the things I've studied, is to get them to doubt um, the, the truth of their prophets, uh, mainly Joseph Smith, and then you can go into Brigham Young and, and some of the others that have been down through the years, some of their writings. And um, so, again, we're not trying to uh, probably show the fallacy of the specific prophecy that they gave as much as we're trying to say when they gave this prophecy and they believed it would come true, 
they truly believed when they said it that this was a spirit from God telling them this. And yet it did not come true. How can they trust a spirit telling them something and it not come true? And if that's the case, then how can you trust when they tell you to trust the spirit that you have for the truth? And so to get them to question that truth is established by a moving of the spirit in their heart which is what the Mormons believe, okay? So let's take a look at some things here. We're going to be in Matthew 7 in just a moment, and so hold your place there. But uh, the Mormons will actually affirm, very similar to you and I, the definition of what institutes a true prophet. So let's look at these very quickly. The first one, uh, by the way, this article, I got this, these points on this page from uh, Robert Bowman, Jr. Uh, this was written in 2016, and I want to give credit to him for uh, compiling these things and spent, saved a lot of time uh, having to pull different little nuggets here and there. But uh, the true prophet's prediction in God's name uh, must come true. So predictions that are made in the name of God that fail to come true would be the mark of a false prophet. Now, the Mormons will agree with us on that. By the way, there is scripture on that, right? Okay, we're going to look at that in just a minute in test number one, and we're going to go through all four of these and show you from Scripture uh, also this as well as uh, what they believe. Number two, that a true prophet's teachings must agree with the established doctrines that came through uh, earlier genuine revelation, specifically those found in Scripture, in particular the Bible, and a prophet whose teachings clearly contradict E, earlier revelations is a false prophet. They will acknowledge that and they will say that that is true. That a false prophet who is contradictory to earlier revelations. Now again, there's going to be another caveat to that in that um, when it comes to the King James Version Bible, they do believe that there has been mistranslation whenever it conflicts with the Book of Mormon. So we'll, we'll deal with that uh, probably next Wednesday night. Uh, on how we combat that issue. All right, number three, the true prophet's fruits are good. They'll agree with that, all right, that the true prophet's fruits uh, have to be good fruit. In other words, they're not going to bear bad fruit. They'll agree with that. Number four, that the true prophet's revelations are authentic, factually solid, and reasonable. Um, uh, so, again, each of these things they will agree with. These are things you and I would agree with on what makes a false prophet. So it's not going to be hard to get them to be in agreement with some of these things. Uh, perhaps in the approach in our living rooms when we're talking with them and uh, we come up with a, uh, a uh, uh, passage that we look at that's a problem text uh, or maybe there are doctrines and covenants where it's a problem text and doesn't, did not come true uh, the way the prophet said that it would, uh, that we then say, now, check me if I'm wrong. Uh, I thought that this was the, the marks, these, these are the rules that we follow to establish what is a true prophet and what is a false prophet, and to re reaffirm that with them so they understand that. And then when they see that this did not come true by this prophet, all of a sudden they begin to see, okay, could be that that was a false prophet. Again, the way the Mormons explain that away is they say, well, there's the Spirit of God, there's man's spirit, and then there's the spirit of the devil. And man's spirit and the spirit of the devil can be wrong, but God's spirit can never be wrong. And so, uh, again, getting them to admit that 
is, I think, one of the major, major steps. Once you're there, once you're at the place where they say, okay, uh, we, too, we do believe that, that the spirit of man and the spirit of the devil can be wrong, then the door is wide open to say, then how do you know which spirit is the right spirit? How do you have that distinction? Uh, again, they can't go back to their Book of Mormon. They can't go back to their doctrines and covenants because that's the ones that have the problems. So, again, they can't use that as their source. Uh, so what they'll be left with is then they have to come to the Bible as their last resort. And then it measures against Scripture. Now we're at the place where we are on measuring false prophets. It has to agree with Scripture. It has to be factual. It has to be something that came true in Scripture. All right? So these are the four tests. Let's take a look at them real quick here. Uh, if you go down to the bottom of the page, the bold press, it says test number one. Well, let's back up just a little bit. We're going to be in Matthew 7, about the middle of the page. All right? Matthew chapter 7, verse number 15. I want to say a few words about this. Uh, and uh, we're going to go down verse, uh, around verse number 21, uh, 22, somewhere in that area. All right? The Bible says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs or of thistles? Even so, every good tree bring forth good fruit, but every corrupt tree bring forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. By the way, that's good teaching for any Christian. Amen? But it's especially good in trying to point out a false prophet. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. This is a tremendous passage to use to show Mormons that it is possible for a false prophet to look like an authentic prophet. Notice verse number 15. It says, Beware of false prophet which come to you in what? Sheep's clothing. So what do they look like? They look like sheep, don't they? Outwardly, you would not know the difference. In fact, it's possible that you could have people in a church that would be considered false prophets as far as the way that they believe, and you would never know it because they look and act and smell and do everything just like we do. But they're wrong in some of their doctrinal issues. Um, Brother Harold and I were talking about one even last night, I think. Was it last night we were talking about that a little bit, about a false uh, teacher and some things in Scripture that just are not right? Uh, and we get over here to verse number 21 through 23. There are even going to be people who say, Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name done many wonderful works. Uh, uh, and, uh, of course, the Bible says here, in thy, and even in thy name cast out devils. And he's going to profess them, depart from me, I never knew you. So, again, expressing to them that the false prophets may look like a spiritual leader. A false prophet can look like and everybody be deceived by the fact that they say, yes, uh, I'm a true prophet. And that's exactly what the uh, leadership of the Mormon church from Joseph Smith all the way to the present day, they have all claimed that they are the true prophet of God. And there's only to be one at any given time. Now, there's 165 
different sects of the Mormon church, uh, some more fundamental than others. And each of them has their own prophet, each of them claiming, I am the one true prophet of God. Uh, that creates a problem. Uh, how, do they, how do they explain that? And so again, trying to get across this. Uh, look with me in Matthew 